Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Kevin Martin, the lead vocalist and guitarist for the hard rock band Candlebox. Candlebox recently signed with Pavement Entertainment and have a brand new album coming out early next year. Matt chats with Kevin about the writing process for that new album, some details about the band's past, the influence of their self-titled debut, and how that album affected the band's growth. Kevin also offers a fascinating perspective on what it was like to live and play during the rise of the grunge scene in Seattle. He also mentions Candlebox's current and upcoming tours and discusses the future of the band. So with that ahead, here's Matt Storm and Kevin Martin. Welcome to another episode of the Crash Chords podcast, specifically Crash Chords Autographs, my one-on-one interview series. And today we have a really special guest. It's Kevin Martin of Candlebox. So thank you for joining me, Kevin. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. It's a cool, cool show. Oh, well, thank you. I uh, I appreciate that I'm getting to talk to you. So I've been working with Thomas for a little while, getting some guests from Pavement, and when I heard that Candlebox had signed to Pavement, I immediately reached out because um, growing up listening to rock and all all other genres, especially rock and grunge, uh, Far Behind and that first album was, like, seminal for me growing up listening to music. So oh, I great. Rec- thank you, man. Appreciate that. And, and so, you know, I was like, of course I want to interview Kevin. So um, So I'm glad to have you on the show. Um, my first question, I guess, is going back to that debut record, um, the self-titled record. When you guys first put that out, do you guys have any inkling, like the kind of impact grunge was having on the country at that time yet, or the kind of success it would find, or was it kind of just an album you're putting out, you're trying to get your start? Do you have any perspective on how big the record would get? No, <clears throat> I don't think we did. I think we knew we had something special with Far Behind um, mm-hmm. as a song. Um, and, and I think honestly, we, we thought that, um, we were going to, you know, get blasted because of the fact that we, we weren't really, um, a grunge band, you know, we, we didn't grow up playing and, you know, Green River and Malfunction and all these other bands like right. Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam, they all, you know, had projects together prior to their successes. So I think for us, we thought it was definitely going to be, um, a difficult, um, process for us to actually get anybody to listen to the record. We knew that coming from Seattle, obviously somebody was going to listen to it and that radio was going to give it some sort of um, attention. But um, I think ultimately we thought it would just come out and it would sell a few copies and we would tour and then we'd go in and start another record. So I don't think we really realized what the gravity of, of the the reach of the record until we started touring with Rush uh, in 94, January of 94, and people were showing up early to see our show, you know, uh, for a Rush show, which... Um, you know, I'd gone to see Rush play, and no one went to see the opening band. So um, <laughs> that kind of triggered it for me uh, when when uh, when that started happening. So I, I think at that point we realized it, but I don't think we really had any inkling that um, that the record was going to be uh, as big of a success as it was, and as it still is, surprisingly. Um, w- uh, so obviously, you guys started in the very early '90s. Were you always into singing and writing music and guitar playing your whole life, or is that something you came to a little later? No, I, I started when I was uh, in second grade. I started singing in choir, and then I started in band in fourth grade. Um, 
started playing drums at the age of 10 and had my first band when I was 12. So I've always kind of um, wanted to be a musician and, and, and hoped that at some point, you know, I would have a career at it. Um, you know, my first concert uh, when I was 13 years old was Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, and the Whole Surfers. And, you know, that was the, the seminal show for me. Um, sure. You know, that was when I realized that that's what I want to do is, is I want to be in a rock band and, and I want to I go do this every single night and have people throw themselves at the stage and throw themselves off the stage and, and spit and scream and yell at me. So, um, you know, that's exactly what it was. And, and music for me as a young kid, my, my parents were musicians. Um, I, I can remember coming home and, and always, always music on, whether it was jazz, classical, um, pop, uh, ABBA, whatever, it was always on in the house. And, uh, and so it, it seemed like, uh, at least somebody in the family was going to go into the music business. Um, but I think, you know, when I started playing drums in my first band at the age of 12, that's when I really realized that I, I could have an opportunity to, to do something like that. And, um, what would you say, so you listed all sorts of genres that you grew up listening to. Would you say there was one band specifically that influenced your style, especially for Candlebox or would you say there's a few different artists? Well, I'd say ultimately it's Otis Redding. Um, Otis Redding's always in the back of my mind when I sing, even though I don't sing R&B or, or anything like that. He's my absolute favorite go-to um, musician uh, as a songwriter and as a singer. Um, just his everything about him, his persona, his voice, um, his his heart, his soul, um, is is the one thing that I always um, was attracted to about him, and or the, the four things I was always attracted to about him, I should say. Um, and then I think when I saw um, that uh, the movie, um, uh, I forget the Monterey Pop and Jazz Festival, when he uh, when he does that whole series of give it to me one time, oh oh oh, and he does it like six times. You know, for me, <laughs> that was it. You know, that was like wow, that's that that's a performer. And then of course later on, it you know, Robert Plant and Steven Tyler and and um, Henry Rollins and Joe Strummer and and um, you know those those great artists, Robert. Smith, um, you know, from The Cure, um, you know, people that don't have the greatest voices, um, but they just emote so much. Um, that's kind of what inspires me and, and what always has. And, and uh, you know, I've never been attracted to, um, you know, the music with the best pop singers, you know, that, that don't miss a note. That that for me is, is not real. Um, people often say to me, you know, do you think you would have done well on American Idol or you know, the voice, if you'd had those shows back in the day, and I was like, well, first of all, I would never have done them. But second of all, no, because I'm not a great singer. I'm, I'm a, I'm an emotive singer. And, um, and, and that's where I draw from is, is, you know, from my soul and, and those inspirations as a young kid listening to, uh, to great rock and roll. Um, well, yeah, I think that the, the idea that perfection is key for any art is kind of, uh, disappointing. You know, you want, you want yeah. imperfections in your art because if it's, if it's perfect, then what's the point? How do you grow? How do you change? How do you improve? You know? Exactly. Um, so the next thing I wanted to ask about was when it comes to writing songs, um, writing albums and all that stuff, um, I'm always interested to know um, where the perspective of writing and where it starts comes from. For example, so typically I've spoken to artists, either the lyrics would come first or the music would come first. Sometimes it's a mix of the two. Do you have a preferred method of writing or does it change from time to time? Changes from time to time. Um, I write a lot of songs uh, on acoustic, just singing into my phone. Um, And then there are other songs where I I just write the music and I have a, I have a drum beat in mind that I write the song around and then I go to to the lyrics later. And then I let the song kind of dictate to me or describe to me what I should be singing about. Um, Like a song I'm doing right now is called not God's gift. 
and uh, it's <clears throat> it's about you know these musicians and artists and people that believe that that um, you know they everything that comes out of their mouth is is um, prolific and profound and <laughs> and uh, you know and, and of course Kanye West and, and guys like that that sure. that just you know really get under my skin because it, it's just such bullshit you know and for me uh, you know Robert Plant would never ever say anything fucking that stupid and and you know and it, it just it really it just drives me nuts and and so that's you know this music made me feel that that's what i needed to write about and uh and, and i literally just wrote the lyrics for this song that, that we're tracking right now uh with carson and grant um about 30 minutes ago and i just finished tracking vocals on it so uh you know it's it comes quickly sometimes and then there's other times where you know that those lyrics don't come right away um they take hours and you, you know, the song we wrote this morning um, took us about an hour and a half to write the lyrics because we wanted them to be somewhat profound. And that's a song called got a gun. And that's about what's going on in, in the world today. And, mm. and what we're doing to ourselves um, with or without, um, you know, medical problems. Um, you know, there, there are people that, that are just fucking crazy that, that believe that, you know, we want to take away their rights as gun owners, and that's not what everybody's saying. It's like, change the fucking laws. Keep your guns. You're, you're responsible, but you got to change the laws, and that's what that song was about. But that really took a long time because we wanted to make sure, <clears throat> like I said, that, that those lyrics were profound and uh, and that, you know, I know people are going to get pissed off about it. I'm, I'm going to alienate fans with that song, but I don't care. It's my opinion. Right. It's what I have to say, and and, uh, and that's where I come from. <laughs> it's a strong stance to take, but I mean, I admire it, and of course, I agree. Um, though you're right, you're, you you never really know what how your audience will react until you say stuff like that. But if it's what you truly believe, it doesn't matter, and it's and it's impressive to me that you're working on that. Um, I guess I'd follow up with the question, the writing question, with um, obviously you are uh, working on a new record for Candlebox. Um, it sounds like. Um, do you? Uh, I, I believe I remember reading somewhere that you have uh, a, a release date of late ne- uh, early next year. Is that correct? Yeah, March 11th. Yeah. March. Awesome. And uh, so I'm guessing you're, the the record's still in the works. Um, and uh, have you guys decided on a single for it yet, or are you planning on releasing anything? Has that come up yet, or you're still working through that? No. Yeah, we haven't decided that yet. We're uh, there's 12 songs tracked musically. Uh, and I'm six songs lyrically done, uh, and, um, melodies and, and, and all that. So those vocals are done on six. Um, I have another six that I'm going to finish up at the end of the month. And at that point, we'll give it to the label. Um, you know, we're working with Missy Colazzo, uh, from Megaforce MRI. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the label that we signed to is Pavement Entertainment. Um, sure. And Missy's got a great ear. And, and I know that Mark and, and, uh, um, and the guys at, at, uh, at, uh, Pavement do as well. So, you know, for us, it's like, We'll we'll put our two cents in. Um, you know, there was a you know major mistake made on our last record. We had signed to a label called um, Audio Nest. Uh, they had great intentions, but the first single they went with, you know, we fought them and fought them and said that's not the right song. The record's coming out in April. There's a song called Sweet Summertime. You need to release it. And and we pushed and pushed and they didn't listen. They went with a song called Believe in It, and it just didn't do anything. And you know, sometimes the artist knows their audience better than the label. So sure. um, I think that what will happen with, with Pavement and Missy uh, is that we'll, you know, they, they include us in everything, which I think is great, and we'll discuss it. And, uh, and, and, and we'll communicate what our, what our needs and wants from, from the song is as, as the first release. How do we want, um, you know, 
the band's image to, uh, to to come out with the first song? What, what are we looking for with that? And and what are what do we hope that um, that people gather from from what we're doing from that first song? Because that's you know first impressions are everything, and uh, you need to make sure that it's right. Yeah, no, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And it's nice that they they include you in that. You know, I I feel like all industry standards and practices are changing from year to year, especially with the internet and everything else growing. You know, it's impossible to operate the way you used to and continue on the same track. So sure. it has to yeah. become a partnership because if they're not working with you, I mean, there are other companies, there are self-produced stuff, there's ways to do it yourself too. So if you're working with a company, they have to make it worthwhile. So yeah. it's great exactly. that that par- partnership exists. Um, uh, my next question uh, is about touring, and obviously I'm sure uh, – the I know you guys are on a tour now, and then you're going to be going. I'm sure you'll be go back out on tour after the new album comes out. Um, do you have any specific tour rituals that you follow? Specific things you do besides singing that you do to take time on the tour bus or on the road? Um, things that you keep yourself busy with when you're not writing or working on music? Oh, jeez, yeah. Um, I've I've got. That's, ton of projects that I'm involved in. Um, I love to uh, invent stuff, so I'm always inventing stupid shit <laughs> and, uh, and you know, doing patents and stuff like that. I've, I've got, I don't know, like 10 or 12 now that, that I'm at some point I will end up getting made. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm a creative person, so it's it's really um, everything that I do, even when I'm on the road or at my home, is, is something to do with, with um, art or music, and um, and I love, I love it being a part of my life as much as it is. Um, having a family is, is really been the greatest thing. Um, cause I, I, you know, I, I have a seven year old that is just the funniest little human being ever. So he keeps me pretty busy. I talk to him several times a day when I'm on the road and, and, uh, my wife is, um, is just as creative. So, you know, we have a household that's, that's very full of, of art and design and creativity and pictures and drawings and stuff like that. So that's really kind of what, I do. Um, I don't do a lot of, um, I don't know, like snowboarding or surfing or anything like that. It's it's not really something that, I, that I'm into. I, I just really kind of always produce music. I mean, really, that's kind of what I'm doing all the time. Has your seven, eight-year-old shown any interest in music? Does he understand that dad's a rock star? Has he kind of grasped that yet? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's. I mean, it's dad, you're the greatest rock star ever, and blah, 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 and I love that <laughs> song, and, you know, I mean... He's funny, yeah. He he has a guitar and he loves to play it and um and sing and dance and he makes his own movies now. He's he's doing the series of um uh, what are they called like time lapse drawings uh, and he posts them up on YouTube and all his friends they share stuff back and forward uh, forth. I think it's hilarious. You know, at seven I didn't even know how to barely work a you know an Atari game and, and my kid <laughs> can work the iMovie and all that stuff. So I, I I think that's really interesting. I think he'll probably end up being some sort of uh, film producer or something because he really really loves doing it and uh, and so I hope that that's you know something that works out for him uh, but yeah he's a he's definitely a trip and cracks me up. It's crazy how uh, how thick the grasp on technology is for younger and younger kids. I remember being at a steampunk show with my wife's band and there was a child that couldn't have been more than six months old. He couldn't even walk, but playing on the iPad, going to YouTube, watching a video, just. Mm-hmm mind-boggling how accessible technology is, but it also makes for great art and great access, which I think is yes. awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure at the start of your career, music videos, like you've got to get a video for MTV or VH1, you've got to have it on TV. Now it's, it's 
completely different. It's, if you're making a music video, it's only for online, really. Channels don't really show me anymore. No. It's um, sad, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit. I feel like I was the only person growing up who liked watching music videos. I hear all these stories about how many nobody ever watched. It's like, I did. Like, I loved oh, getting that access to music. It's how I discovered bands when I was a kid. Oh, man. I'm with you. Like, I had every skate video. I had every music, punk rock music video I had. I, I mean, MTV was on constantly. It's probably why I'm so stupid because I never paid attention to anything else. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you, man. I, I really enjoyed that. And I loved the fact that that these directors started pushing the envelope really, really hard in the mid-'90s and, and late-'90s with the videos that they were producing. And, and, you know, I think it got super creative, and then it just got this kind of blown-up belly full of bullshit, you know, and, and – yeah. um, you, you know, you think about MTV, you know, Video Music Awards, and you just laugh. You're like, well, who's fucking watching these things? You know, I, yeah. no one's watching these. I, MTV doesn't even fucking play them. You know, so um, yeah, I'd, I'd much rather watch a live show or, or you know, or, or you know, spend some time watching um, Late Night with Jules Holland and seeing a real band perform now than than you know trying to see if something's coming on MTV because it's just sad. There's nothing good out there. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any desire or plans to make um, some stuff for the web, music videos and stuff like that once the album release? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we'll do a whole series of lyric videos for, for the songs, and then we'll do, you know, whatever the single is, we'll do a video for it. You know, I mean, it's 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 good to give that, because there are other countries that do have those video channels, you know, and, and sure. that they do play them. It's just, you know, America's become so fucking jaded um, that, you know, no one's watching it anymore. But there's the rest, the whole rest of the world, and there's a, a shit ton of people out there that still do it. Thank God for them. Right, yeah. Well, and, like, even the thing with the lyric video, like, that's the thing that never existed when I was a kid either. If you made a music video, it had to be this huge piece that took forever and, you know, a lot of work and a lot of... Whereas with the lyric videos, they can be artistic, but it's for a lot less, and you can still get your music out there. And some people just... That's the way they listen to me. They stream it on YouTube. So those things have become yeah. vital, which is interesting to me. Because as a kid, yeah. you're like, the only way to get the lyrics was in the jacket of the song. And if the band didn't include that, Maybe by the time I was in junior high school or high school, you could go online to their website, wait 20 minutes for it to load, and then read the lyrics there. You know? <laughs> yeah, true, true. Whereas, ne whereas now you can just see them online, which I think is pretty rad. Yeah. Um, so uh, I know you mentioned earlier that you did play drums when you were younger and that you play guitar and sing. Are there any instruments you've been interested in trying to learn that you don't yet know how to play? Piano. Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah, fucking piano. I, I could kill my parents for not having one in the house. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, that's just an instrument that I think as a, as a songwriter, if you can play that, you can play anything. And right. it's such a great writing tool, and it's something that I really need to spend time with um, and, and at some point just just start working it because it's you know, music is always going to be there for me, and, and there are instruments that, you know, I can play and instruments that, that I'm, 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 you know, interested in, but piano is just the one that, that I've, I've really always been like, God, I sh really should have learned this as a kid. And, 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 uh, and I'm definitely going to start working on that because it's, it's something that I love. I, just, I absolutely love the piano and I, I use it a lot in songs and, and, um, and, and on the last record actually is quite a bit of piano and organ, which, uh, I was very grateful for because it, it took those songs to a whole nother level. It's an instrument that, can just create so much emotion around a track because of those major minor movements that can happen under a chord progression that a piano can do that another instrument can't. If you, uh, as you work on piano, would you dabble in other genres and try other kinds of things with 
things with piano outside of heavy rock or rock and roll? Oh, sure. I think I'd really like to get into rhythm and blues. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to learn classical music. I think, uh, I mean, I, I listen to jazz too, which drives my wife nuts, but, um, <laughs> I think that the, the freedom of, of a piano will open my mind to an entirely different world of music, which, um, will be very exciting for me, but yeah, I think I definitely would. I would, you know, start working on other stuff and, and, uh, and, you know, maybe someday release a, you know, a, an old standards record. Cause I love those. And it's not that I could sing them very well, but you know, I, I think going out and doing a little Michael Bublé kind of thing would be, would be an interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can kind of try anything these days. What I like about modern music too, while, while some stuff is kind of faded out, the fact that you can kind of genre blend a lot easier just by introducing small elements from other things and that it's, it's a lot more common to mix those things that your influences from even when you were younger that you don't really feel might fit in Candlebox specifically, you can play around with on other things and try other things, yeah. which is a thing that yeah. didn't really exist back in the day. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The next question I like to ask fans I've spoken to who have like a lot of hit singles and singles that have been around a while, obviously Far Behind has been around forever. It was one, it was the song that got me into you guys. Is, do, is there anything that you do with that song live when you perform it? Obviously, you guys would perform it live um, over and over and over again. Is there something you do to keep it fresh um, when performing it live? Yeah, sometimes we throw Zeppelin in the, the breakdown, the E the, the e progression that happens after the solo. Um, we've been known to go to Buddha Child's um, reprise or whatever the hell it's called, um, uh, the Jimi Hendrix thing. Um and we also switch it up every night. Um, you know, we'll change the melody a little bit. Um, we'll do some different guitar movements in it. <clears throat> but ultimately, you know, it's that song that, you know, people ask me all the time, are you, are you sick of it? Are you bored of it? So it's such a personal song for me that, that mm-hmm. every time, you know, I sing it, I remember exactly where I was when I wrote it. I remember exactly how I felt when I wrote it. I remember who it's about and, and what it, that person meant to me. And, and um, so that keeps it fresh for me. And, and also, you know, having the audience sing the song back to you every night, um, you know, that just makes it uh, all the more special. Do you find that there are any songs that you prefer not to perform live due to complexity or just due to it not fitting right in the sets, or do you try and get every all of your songs in the Pantheon uh, an even shot? No, no, I definitely don't put songs in. Um, there are songs that I, you know, I just, we, we played them live when we released the record and they didn't sit well then, and they still don't sit well Um they're record tracks, and I think that that's where they're best left. Um, I try to, you know, stack the, the the live show with, you know, the most powerful, moving, um, emotional songs that we have. Um, you know, it's an hour and a half to hour and forty five minute long set. So, you know, I'd love to play two and a half hours, but um, the way I sing, I you know, I can't sing two and a half hours with these songs, and and uh, um, so it's it's really about what is the best kind of track listing that I can put together, a set list that I can put together for the live show that keeps the audience interest and keeps them, um, uh, you know, focused on what we're doing. And, and, you know, if I were to go and play a song like Crooked Halo or something during the set, I'd only be playing it for one person. You know, there, there might right. be a thousand people there, but there's one person that's going to want to hear that song. And, and I just can't do that. I can't do that for one person, you know, and, and I definitely can't do it for myself. Um, the songs that I'd like to play, no one would want to listen to. So um, <laughs> it's, it's really about, you know, keeping, keeping the songs that people know in the set 
every now and then we'll throw in a strange one uh, or an odd bird. Um, but it's really, uh, it's really kind of around those singles from the records uh, and the songs that, uh, even though, even though they weren't singles, they were just recognized by the fans for so many years that we throw them in the set. Do you find of those songs that there's a particular one that's the most fun to perform live? Yeah, breathe me in. Oh yeah, Is yeah. That's just. That's, it's just got that long no quarter intro and mm-hmm. kind of vibe, and then the song just it moves so well. It's it's a it. I mean, if I do say my, so myself, it's it's one of the best written songs that that we've ever done, um, mm-hmm. and somehow it just it, it it's flawless in my opinion um, when it comes to the record as well as live. You know, sometimes we play it with the backing tracks of the piano and the organ and stuff, and other times we just play it um, without anything but the instruments that are in our hands. Um, so it it's it's just kind of the one, you know, it's the one that I look forward to in the set and, uh, you know, it gives me five minutes to go and walk up the stage and let the guys enjoy themselves, uh, you know, in a, in a nice mellow intro and, and the guitar players get to show their, their musical prowess, um, for five minutes and I get to have a cigarette. <laughs> nice. It's, it's all about priorities and, and perfect, uh, flow of a show, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, um, I imagine, um, there's more to tour life than just playing shows. Do you find that when you're in civic town, do you go out and do some sightseeing, check out some of the stuff? Do you go see a movie? Like, do you do things while you're from town to town, or is it mostly get there, play a show, and move on? No, we, we generally get in a night before. Um, you know, like right now we're just doing weekend shows. Um, in a lot of these cities that we go to, you know, I have friends in there, uh, you know, in a certain, you know, part of town that I like to go to and I'll meet them up, you know, meet up with them for a drink or something like that. Um, <clears throat> I like to go to museums. Um, so, you know, when I'm in DC, I, I spend a whole afternoon and, you know, at, at the museums and the mall and, and really just kind of uh, taking in everything that, that um, I've seen a million times before, but I, you know, I, I just kind of, it's nice. I don't like hotel rooms and, mm-hmm. uh, and so I'm, I'm, I, I do my best to stay out of them. I mean, that makes sense. I imagine you could go a little stir-crazy with all the time you spend in hotel rooms, so it, it makes sense to want to get out. Um, have you ever been to the Museum of Natural History in New York? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah several I, times. And... Um, yeah, the, 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 what I was going to say is the reason I ask is because I'm from New York. It's where I live, and so uh, I, I, I grew up going to that museum, and it's one of my favorites, so I haven't been to every museum in the country, but it's definitely one of my favorites. And I loved it. There. Uh, so I was curious if you'd been. Yeah, it's a beautiful place and, and fantastic, fantastic museum. And also a friend of mine is a curator at MOCA, so I, I, I go there a lot as well when I'm in New York City. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, MOCA is wonderful. I love it there. Um, so back to talking about um, your records and um, – you know, fans who are listening know that you guys took a, a brief break for quite a few years and then came back and put out a new record. Did you find when coming back to Candlebox that it was tough to put out another record, or did it feel like an old hat and just threw it back on and, and went for it? It took a minute. Um, it took a minute. When we got back together in 2006, we didn't really we didn't start working on Into the Sun until 2008 um, because we had to remember how we wrote. Um, right. you know, we'd all gone off to do other projects uh, and, and to, um, to, you know, 
work on our creative juices and, and, and enjoy, you know, things outside of Candlebox. So when we got back together, it was a few of us had progressed as songwriters and a couple of us hadn't. And, um, and in that process, you know, you, you, you've got to, somebody's got to take the reins. And I think that you sit down and, and, and you, you figure out who's going to be a part of it. And so it really came down to Pete and I writing into the sun um, solely by ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't, we didn't really include Scott in that because um, we had worked with other drummers that um, were, were pushing our songwriting in a different direction. And Scott is as great of a drummer as he is. And one of the greatest, you know, that I've ever worked with and one of the greatest in the business, I think uh, when it comes to studio stuff, he has um, he he has a tendency to um, when he locks into something he wants to stick with it rather mm-hmm. than moving it and um, with the songs that we were writing it wasn't moving well so we had to write those those songs and and with me on the drums uh, working through them with Pete and and get them to where they were flowing correctly and then of course he came and and uh, you know recorded a few of them on Into the Sun and. Uh, and and it came out great, but uh, yeah, it took a minute. You know, it, it, the the performing live and playing the songs was old hat. It, literally, the first rehearsal, we we ran through like seven songs, and we all just kind of started laughing because it was it was like we had you know hadn't seen one another in maybe a week rather than <laughs> you know four years. So right. um, yeah, that was that was really funny, and, and 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 it was great. It was a great feeling because it was nice to be back in the room with those guys and jamming the songs out. But the writing process, you know, definitely took a minute. Um, are you finding with the newest album that you're working on currently that it's, it's smooth sailing? Have you found any difficulties with the songwriting process this time around and any new challenges that you haven't really faced before? No, we, we literally knocked about 12 songs in four days. Wow. Which was shocking to me. We'd never done anything like that. And uh, we wrote two of them in the studio. Uh, and then four of them didn't even have bridges um, or chorus chord progressions. So, um, but we were all firing on, on all cylinders, which was shocking and, and um, at the same time super exciting. And when we listened back to a track, we're like, geez, we, we actually got a really cohesive rock record here. And, um, and uh, you know, the, the, the vocals and the lyrics are, you know, I've, I've been joking, God, I hope I don't fuck it up, but they seem to be working as well. So um, we found the melodies and, and uh, you know, knock it out and be done with it. That's that's awesome. I mean, that must be a pretty great feeling to to come in and do that it, and just move through it. It must, you know, those are the days I imagine that make you want to be a rock star forever. Yeah, yeah. Thank God. <laughs> um, and so I've had plenty uh, of hair pulling experiences. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh yeah. Is, is are there so besides you know what you mentioned specifically about coming back after the break? Um, are there any challenges with songwriting? In, particular that have really frustrated you over the years specifically like something where the lyrics just don't come or you know no matter what you do the tune or melody doesn't fit right have you run into those problems before several times yeah um you know there's there's always a battle with um the ego and uh and and the ego wants to tell you one thing and the song wants to tell you another and when you fight with that song it, it it literally will destroy you. You, you. you you will beat your head against the wall over and over and over trying to tell the song what it needs. And the song is the whole time just going, I'm the song. You, you can't tell me what I need. I'm telling you what I need. And and that's something that I learned, uh, you know, I think in the making of the Happy Pills record was 
just that battle um, of the ego and and you know, trying to block it out of my mind uh, at, at every opportunity I had. Um, you know, writer's block is is a motherfucker, and um, when it gets in there, it, it can definitely fuck you up. And uh, <laughs> so I, I, you know, I've had those moments, and and I hate them. You know, I I I, I do not like being there. I don't like fighting with guys in the band over parts and stuff like that. So. But yeah, it's happened. You know, the solo on um, on uh, Into the Sun and the song called Lover Come Back to Me. Um, Pete and I fought over that. I don't even know how many fucking times. Um, and I, you know, I just kept telling him what was wrong with the solo you played live. And I didn't like that. I want to do something different. I'm like, yeah, but the one you're playing suited the song. Now you're playing a solo that doesn't even represent the melody or the emotion of the song. And we fought a good hour over this. Wow. Yeah. Um, have there ever been any? Oh, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry, but ultimately it took the producer coming in and saying, listen, we can cut this solo to to, to please both you guys, you know. Um, and that's ultimately what ha- what happened was that we got out of what Pete had played by cutting together the, the tracks that he had laid down to create the solo that we were, for, that we were both happy with. But, I mean, at least you were able to come to a common ground and work through it. Um, well, know, fists are an amazing thing, you know. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, have you ever gotten to that process with a song and gotten that frustrated and then left it behind, like just just forgotten about it? Or do you, are there any essentially unwritten songs because you just couldn't figure out how to finish it or fine tune it? Millions, millions. Oh, I have, wow. I have. Oh, I've, I've, I have discs and discs and discs of songs that will never see the light of day. Do you and so and you don't feel like you could ever go back to any of those for for something to fix or to use? You feel like they're I don't just like to go backwards. Mm, okay. Yeah, I don't like to go backwards. I think that you know I know what I'm capable of, and I know what the music, uh, excuse me, will tell me. And and um, when I when now when it's happening and it's not it's not developing itself in front of me, like Keith Richards said, you know, there's songs all around you. They're floating, and all you got to do is grab them. And when you grab one and it, it works, you know it's working. When you grab one and it's and it's fighting you, you just gotta let it go. You know. Those you find a chicken that you can pick up and chop the neck <laughs> off. You don't chase the one you can't catch. You know. That that might be the best analogy for songwriting I think I've ever heard. Preparing it to, <laughs> for catching and cutting the head off a chicken. I like that. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll use that going forward. I enjoy that. Um, Give me credit. <laughs> I will definitely give you credit if I quote it anywhere. I promise. <laughs> That you will get full credit for that. As Kevin uh, Martin stated. <laughs> um, my next question when it comes to music is obviously, so you've been writing music for a long time, and we cited some older influences, uh, you know, of what you grew up with or stuff that have really impacted your, your music taste and, and how you write. Are there any modern uh, bands, bands that you've discovered in recent years that you really like that have also worked their way into your, your tastes and, uh, and preferences? Oh yeah, Manchester Orchestra, War on Drugs, Bumper and Sons, The National. Um, <clears throat> my God, I could just go on and on and on. I, I'm so inspired by music, and uh, whether it's you know Tove Lowe with the pop, you know she's so sexual in her pop music, mm-hmm. uh, or you know the new Mumford and Sons record, which is so vulnerable for them. Um, yeah. And the Nationals' last record, um, um, you know, Trouble Will Find Me. <clears throat> and the War on Drugs record, uh, you know, it, there's there's vulnerabilities in those albums that, that just pull emotion out of you. And, and 
And I like to tap into that when I'm trying to write a song. <clears throat> so what I'll do is I'll, I'll find that one track that really breaks me down by, you know, an artist. Like Ryan Adams, for example, uh, Are We Out of the Woods, the, the Taylor Swift cover that he did on, uh -huh. on the new yeah. 1989. His version of that song is so devastatingly beautiful. And and I, I it just, I mean, I was listening to it and I immediately wrote lyrics. And that was it. I was like, this, this is what, this is what I pull from, and 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 that's what I've learned about myself is is let those in, those influences and inspirations inspire. Let them do their job because that's what they're supposed to do. Uh, that my follow, I mean, the answer to my follow up question was just going to be: Can you listen to music while writing? Apparently, yes. Um, do you do you prefer to be listening to music while you're writing, or, or are there moments that call for absolute silence so you can focus as well? There's both. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's both. There's times where I'm like, I, I don't play anything right now. I really need to find this on my own. And then there's other times I'm like, pull that song up because I'm I'm losing I'm losing what I had, and uh, and and um, it just it resparks it, you know, for me. So it, it's it's a bit of both, really. Um, the next thing I wanted to ask was actually about. Um Growing up, the area you were in, so um, you were you were born in Illinois, correct? Yeah, Elgin. So, so was there a strong music scene there? I know you said you got into music when you were very young, but was there there a, an active music scene in, in your town when you were growing up? <clears throat> well, I was only born in Elgin. Um, I grew okay. up in the Midwest. Um, really, the formative years for me were San Antonio, Texas. I moved there when I was eleven, and uh, and I was there until I was fourteen. So. And that's where, like I said, I saw, you know, my first concert, uh, Black Flag, Dev Kennedy's and Butthole Surfers and all that sort of thing. But really, you know, in Kansas and the other places I lived, I, I don't think there was a music scene at all. And then, of course, you know, I moved to Seattle when I was 14 years old and it's this, you know, just blossoming fucking music scene of, of great, creative, dark, beautiful fucking music. And, um, and I, I was so, as much as I hated my parents, for taking me away from this beautiful place like San Antonio with all this, you know, sun and places for me to skateboard to a place where it rained every goddamn day and I couldn't get on my skateboard. Um, <laughs> I was thankful that, that I moved to a city that, that was just full of fucking music. I, mean, I, I mean, first time I saw Soundgarden, Chris Cornell was playing drums and they were a three-piece, you know. So wow. like, I, I can honestly say that I saw that, you know, and, and, and that was just fucking magical for me. Yeah, growing up, like, in high school, uh, watching the Seattle movement from afar and watching that, that birth of music from afar, like, I can't even imagine what it was like being in the town when it was happening. I mean, it must be a live scene unlike anything other. It was, in my opinion, absolutely was. I don't think, I mean, it's comparable to what was happening in L.A., you know, in the mm -hmm. 80s with the hair bands. I mean, it was just literally, there was so much fucking music and it, everyone was playing. And they was, these were teenagers, you know. These were, you know, I'm 14 and half these guys are, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old um, playing this incredible fucking music. And, uh, you know, I, I just was overwhelmed with um, excitement to to have been able to be a part of that and, you know, and, and being watching it at the time. And, and then, of course, the Candlebox to become a part of it um, was just as fucking cool. Um, that's what I wanted to ask, although this is, I'm sure this has been covered before, but um, the, the origin of the name of the band, Candlebox, does that have a special story that goes with it, or is it just the name you guys picked out of the hat? 
No, I was a huge fan of Midnight Oil. Uh, Peter Garrett um, sure. has always been one of those performers and songwriters that um, inspired and, and created a, a, a sense of urgency in me um, when I listened to them, and I loved his uh, his whole stance on the Aboriginals in Australia. And um, there's a song on a record called uh, Tin Legs and Tin Minds. It's called Countdown where he says um, these beautiful people boxed in like candles or something along the lines of, you know, being boxed in like candles. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting image. If you think, because they're going to burn through that, you know, and, and you can't take this incredible tribe of people and put them in a space where they're going to be confined because that's not how they lived. I mean, they're still incredibly primitive. They, you know, the government tries to build them housing and they tear the walls down because they can't yeah. be closed in. And, and so that's where the name came from was that, from that song. Awesome. Um, uh, I want to go back a bit to, to what you were talking about before, about the writing songs that are about social issues and, and personal things. Do you find that with the newest record, you lean more towards writing about the world around us and more personal stuff, or has that kind of always been your your um, your kind of writing perspective? Well, I stayed away from politics for a long, long time because, um, mm -hmm. you know, Frankly, I didn't know enough about it. Um, so the first record, and other than a song called He Calls Home, which is about a homeless man that lived in my alleyway, I really kind of never um, wrote about it. It's always been personal. And, and even now, it's all personal to me. Um, the, you know, they're my opinions, these songs. That's all they are. Um, and they're my emotions. Um, I can't write about other people. I can't, you know, write... Um, like, a, you know, I, I couldn't write a song like, you know, even Beyonce's married to Jay-Z and she writes these songs that, you know, obviously sound like she's having an affair with someone else. I can't do that. You know, it's not me. Um, right. It has to be something that I've been attached to and uh, and that, that has um, that has moved me um, in a way. And, and whatever that may be, that's what I pull from. It sounds like you're led very heavily by emotion when writing, which, which I... I Personally, my favorite kind of music is music that invokes emotion. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly where I come from. Um, because I've listened, you know, I mean, I've listened to everyone, my fair share of mindless pop music and stuff. It doesn't really mean much. That's just there. I mean, if it's catchy, it gets stuck in your head, you listen to it. But I find I'm driven towards stuff where I can either relate emotionally or feel what the singer or narrator is singing about. And even though I haven't experienced it, I get. I feel like if someone can write about a story that you've never experienced, but it moves you to tears because they experienced it, that's the powerful translation that music has, you know? Yeah, that that's the power of it, 100%. Um, so in in wrapping up, I wanted to ask if there are any, obviously the next big steps for Candlebox is the new album and, and a tour to follow. Um, is there anything else that uh, fans should know about that you guys are working on that's coming up, any big projects? Well, we've got, you know, we're, we're, we just got added to Lollapalooza in, uh, Lollapalooza in Chile, South America, and, um, and we're hoping to get Santiago or the, the Buenos Aires and, um, Sao ones in Brazil and Argentina. Um, and, you know, basically our, our, the next big thing for us really is seeing the world as a band. We haven't done the world since 1996. Wow. And, you know, that's something that we really, really are, are striving towards and, and hope that, um, that we're going to be able to attain. Um, that's the next, the big next big step for us. Really, is is get this record out and then try and get it to the rest of the world. 
And then uh, for for closing, do you have any advice to up and coming? And I know this is a, a an over a very played out interview question, but I like asking because I feel like you can put a personal spin on it to make it really impactful. But do you have any advice for up and coming singer songwriters, musicians that you would pass on that maybe wasn't told to you when you started out? Oh yeah, man. Be 100% honest with yourself and your music. You know, um, if you're trying to write something that sounds like somebody else, that's a waste of time. They've already written it. It's, it's really, if, if you like it and you're being honest with yourself, you're going to write a great song. If you're trying to replicate something that someone else has done, um, you're, you're not going to achieve it. it. There's no need for it. You know, you, you're, you're lacking the creative, um, spirit that that would allow itself to um to give you those things uh there's nothing wrong with being inspired by you know a shine down or or uh a stone sour or a slipknot or anything like that um it's how you use that inspiration that's that's going to make you stand out as an as a band and and it's really imperative that that you're honest with yourself about that you know just because your mom likes it or your you know your friends doesn't necessarily mean it's good um, you know, you, you've got to go out and you've got to play it and you've got to have people respond to it. You've got to have people understand what that song's about. The, the lyrics have to be poignant. Um, the, the song has to be, um, you know, uh, poignant and prolific and, and, uh, it's got to have consistencies to it, you know, and, and that's, what's really important. But, um, you know, you just, you just got to be honest. I think that's what I always, I always tell, you know, young bands that write me and, you know, this kid um, that I'm friends with that, that sends me songs all the time, you know, I, I'm like, mm, you know, I, I really think you're looking for something here that you should be looking for. You know, you need to ask yourself what that is and get rid of it because you're better than this, you know. And, and I like being able to do that with him. I like to mentor him because he's he's talented and he's got he's definitely got an ear for music. Um, but, you know, he, he slips into that habit of, you know, pulling a chord progression from somebody. And, you know, you, you can't be that obvious, you know. Uh, what's the saying, you know, great artists steal, good artists borrow or whatever. I can't even remember what the saying yeah. is, but, you know, um, and, and it's true. You know, if you steal something and nobody knows what you stole, you've done it right. Right. Sure, of course. Well, that, that's probably the best answer to that question I could ever ask. You definitely get the award for best answer so far. So um, <laughs> thank you for that. I appreciate your time, Kevin. Seriously, it's an honor and a pleasure to get to talk you i'm excited for the new record and um this interview um will go up in two weeks the 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 album the show rather is a bi-weekly show so it'll go up in two weeks i'll make sure shauna gets the link to you so you can share it around but i appreciate you really taking the time it's, it's been an honor to chat with you my pleasure man thank you so much great questions thanks man take care i'll see ya. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.